Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Bit Spursy. I'm Barney. I'm Dan. We're not sure and who we, we are. are coming to you. <laughs> We've lost our minds. We're in, uh, well, just post-lockdown here in Victoria, um, uh, Melbourne. We've just uh, been allowed to leave our homes, but we're not allowed any visitors. So this is happening via Zoom. The first A Bit Spursy. Via Zoom. Yeah, the first remote recording, um, which is, it's interesting to do. It definitely doesn't feel the same. It lacks the sort no. of excitement, um, like, you know, of the uh, of actually getting together in the room and having all our snacks laid out and, and everything. But um, it's still good that we can, you know, talk over this medium because there's been some things happening. There have awesome things not happening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Depending on which way you look at it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's been um, a tumultuous couple of weeks for Tottenham Hotspur um, in their managerial search. Um, we have been led down many a garden path, um, ones belonging to that of uh, Pochettino, uh, belonging to Antonio Conte. Um, now we're going down a very, very strange path into the garden of a strange man called Paulo Fonseca or Seca. I'm not really sure how to say it. At the moment, I'm going with like Fonseca, but... Fonseca. It could it could very easily be like a, a, a soft C or something. I'm not too sure about mm. um, pronouncing things properly in Portuguese. But if we do get him, that's something we're going to have to learn. We're going to have to do, which is what we always do with like a Spurs player. When like, we want to say Hoybier properly. Where's the <laughs> yeah. video with Pierre looking at the camera going, Pierre-Emile Hoybier. We're like, all right, now we know how it's <laughs> yeah, done. thank you. <laughs> yeah. Is he, um, is he Portuguese? I thought he was Italian. Uh, yeah, he's Portuguese. And oh, I think man. he's actually born in Mozambique or something like that. Um, oh. Yeah, but then uh, from Portugal. Um, I, I don't know a lot about him, to be fair. And when he was yeah. uh, linked with us, I, I, to be completely honest, was like, I don't know who that is. Mm. Um, but unlike Danny Rose, that doesn't necessarily concern me um, massively yep. because it's like, you know, there's so many names in football that I don't know these days compared to like, you know, when you're a teenager and you're just playing like FIFA and, um, you know, football manager all day. It's like, you're like, yeah. cool, you know, all the names of every player in every league, just about. Um, but now, yeah, it's that, that wasn't as much of a concern to me, but I, I definitely had to had to look up and see where what his deal was, where he was from. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea who he was either um, and definitely had to look him up. Um, should we start from the top? Should we start from from the the Pochettino uh, dance of dalliance that Daniel Levy uh, entered into? Yeah, I think, yeah, let's let's wind back in time. If you yeah. can imagine a time a week and a half ago <laughs> yeah. uh, when we were apparently courting uh, Pochettino. Yep. Um, so... As you would be aware, the rumours sort of started trickling through that we wanted to bring him back to the club and he was indeed keen to return because he wasn't enjoying his time at PSG. Um, and he had communicated that to Daniel Levy, who was then trying to get him to come back, um, and PSG said no way. Um, and they would apparently wouldn't let him go unless he made a public statement um, saying that he wanted to leave the club. So it didn't happen. Yeah. Didn't happen at all, um, and mm. yeah, the um, I I I forget the name of the of the not Leonardo, but the I guess the owner or above or whatever who was the one who came out and was like, 
no, nothing. Like he seemed to be the one who was putting up a real solid brick wall of like, no, he's staying, he's staying, he's staying. Um, I honestly think though that that is just, I don't think they really actually care about Pochettino at PSG um, Mm. because, you know, you've got other like Zidane's floating around. Like Conte is a manager who they could go for and would have the resources to match. Um, yep. So honestly, I don't think that they're that fussed about Pochettino and if he did stay, but I think that they are kind of trying to like, I don't know, put their big boy pants on and they they don't want to be pushed around in the market. They want to be a big European like, um, you know, powerhouse. And it's kind of like, no, you can't take our manager unless you cough up, um, you know, some very large wads of cash to give us compensation for it. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's got a lot to do with... Pochettino being their man, I think it's just got more to do with their uh, representation, their reputation um, in the European elite football. uh, I don't want to say community because that makes it sound more wholesome than it is, than the bloodbath, the (laughs) European football bloodbath. It is a wildlands around Europe right now (laughs) with that. Yeah, it is total wildlands. Uh, Would you have been happy if if it had come out uh, that we had re-signed Pochettino? How would you have felt, Dan? I, I think overall I would have felt okay about it, but I also wouldn't have felt as excited as it seems like some other fans would have been um, yeah. because I think it just to me seems a bit too soon to go mm. back to Poch. Um, like I think on the last pod we maybe used kind of like a romance analogy of him. Like it seems like it's a bit too soon to get back together with him. It's like yeah. if we were kind of, you know, high school sweethearts with Pochettino, like mm-hmm. we're going off to university and college now. Like, you know, we still need to go off, explore the world, find out who we are, all these sort of bits and pieces. And then maybe mm. when we're hitting 30, we're going to go, you know what? Let's see how old mate um, Maurizio was doing. Um, but for me, it just felt a bit too soon. And like, it seems as well that everyone's kind of forgotten how Pochettino ended with us. Yeah, we've definitely um, – what's that thing they say about childbirth or getting a tattoo that you don't remember the the pain of it? Uh, like you, you forget um, how bad the experience was um, or, you know, whatever. Maybe it was great. Uh, but, you know, you can't remember <laughs> – you can't remember how, how it went. I think that's similar with Pochettino because, you know, like the last year that he was in charge, our results in the league were pretty average or – and like – it kind of looked like he'd, he'd given up. He was like very uh, prickly in all these press conferences. Um, he kept on persisting with this four four two diamond. That the players apparently were like, this doesn't work. Um, um, and yeah, he just kind of threw the toys out of the pram towards the end there. Um, yeah, I think as well, he, he also was, um, you know, there were a lot of moments, especially leading up to the Champions League final where he was like, well, if I win Champions League or sorry, if we win Champions League, then I might leave. And you're like, hmm, do we need to be saying that now? Is that what we need to be talking about publicly (laughs) as something? Yeah. Um, so Mm -hmm. it kind of seemed like things had soured a little bit. Um, and yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Like it's, it seemed like he was kind of over that project as well like he thought he'd sort of done all that he could and he was kind of like ah all right oh well mm. sit this one up I'll, i'm gonna wait until you break up with me <laughs> and then yeah i'm just gonna just you know start getting like lazier and leaving stuff around and, and trying to make that happen so yeah uh, what what would you have felt if we had gotten pochettino back um emotionally excited i would have been like yes daddy's home 
Um, <laughs> like we're, we're back and he's, uh, he's bringing a whole new bunch of toys. Um, it's going to be amazing. He went to the shop to buy the cigarettes and he actually came back. Like that would be my initial thing. So do and I need to unpack something, Barney? Is there yeah. some- <laughs> it's a whole other series of podcasts. Um, let's move on. Um, so I would, yeah. So I initially would have felt like that. And then I would have started reflecting on how he left the club and would have started thinking about how he wanted more and more control as he was at Tottenham, um, how he was very specific on his transfers, which unfortunately doesn't really work that well at a club of Tottenham stature. Um, and then I w- also would have thought about how we never sent any of our young players out on loan. Like the the myth around Pochettino being this guy that's great at developing young players. Like he did that for, you know, like a season because he had to. And then after that, that was it. Like he, you know, obviously Danny Rose and Kyle Walker became, you know, the best fullbacks in the league, but um, he didn't put young players through particularly often and then didn't send them on loan. So Oliver Skip wouldn't have had his loan. Troy Parrott probably wouldn't have had his loan. Um, well, even if we look back, like Kyle Walker-Peters was someone who was just kind of just mm. lodged and he was just stuck in the change room and he couldn't, he wasn't being really sent out. He wasn't being given a shot into the team. He was kind of there almost as like a contingency. Um, yeah, he got really screwed by Pochettino. Yeah. So yeah. I I think like overall it's like, you know, this is not to say that if Pochettino had come in, it would have gone badly. But I mm. think that, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in the nostalgia of, um, you know, getting Poch back. Because over the – if you look at Poch's like time with Spurs overall, I still love Poch. Like despite these things, this is not saying like, okay, no anti-Poch, any any of that sort of stuff. Like I'm still very much overall – I remember Poch very fondly um, throughout that. But I think it's just – yeah, we need to sort of just think of the whole, you know, experience of what happened and realise that, yeah, even though we feel like we've had a, a very poor experience with Mourinho um, – you know, Poch has his flaws as well, and it's mm. important for us to just you know remember those things too. Um, you know, and, and if he comes back to the club at some stage, just to keep that stuff in mind as well. That so then as well, when Poch does come back in, we don't have unrealistic expectations of him to be this perfect um, manager in person. It's like we need to accept whatever flaws that he does. We know that he has. Mm, exactly. I mean, you know, the expectation. I'm sure. Um, even if you were trying to rationalise with yourself, because, you know, he is so beloved and he did have, you know, a really good uh, run at Tottenham. I know that I would be thinking, Pochettino's back, we're going to go back to 16, 17, 17, 18 level Tottenham Hotspur immediately. And if you think of his first season at the club, we were sixth and like we were pretty pretty average in uh, a lot of those games. Um but I guess the exciting thing about that season was that there was always this like uh, he's, you know, sort of like building towards something. Um, uh, there's something coming, you know, we're, we're finishing games off and, and beating teams right at the death um, because we're fitter than them and we've got these things. So, uh, you know, I, I would still, if, tom- if tomorrow Tottenham announced, actually we've got Pochettino, I would still probably be pretty happy. Yeah, I think, look, in the scheme of things, like overall – like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, we take him over a, a lot of other managers, definitely. Um, and I, I agree with that. Like, I, I think, over, you know, the overwhelming emotion would be, you know, sort of happiness. Um, but I guess it's like I don't see – I don't see Pochettino as like a, a, an interesting appointment at this time. 
um, as opposed to, you know, a different manager and and going for a new approach right now. Like mm. I would definitely love to see Poch come back at some stage, 100%. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I'm, I'm definitely down for that. So, look, Poch didn't happen. <laughs> that mm-hmm. that went nowhere fast. Um, you know, we also had like um, other people we've been linked to. And look, there, there are still managers out there who ha- we haven't been ruled, like they haven't, there hasn't been a categorical, categorical no, like Eric Ten Hag from, um, from Ajax. And there's some rumours that he is still in the picture and that, you know, Paolo Fonseca isn't 100%, uh, you know, bolted on just yet as... Yeah as the manager, just that we are in in talks with him at the moment. Um, so, yeah, like there's, you know, some, the only managers who really have come out and said a big no, I think it's really just been like Brendan Rodgers, who's kind of like, yeah. no, I'm happy here at Leicester. And I don't blame Brendan Rodgers for not wanting to leave Leicester at all. Um, especially he's had the experience of going to a big club before with Liverpool and that didn't work out for him. Um, and then he kind of, you know, went off to Celtic and sort of rebuilt from there. So, mm. yeah, like it's um, it's it, yeah, it's it's sort of an interesting position that we find ourselves in, um, and then of course from Pochettino we ended up moving on to looking at uh, Antonio Conte. Yes, and I was very very excited about this, but also you know like it's with every manager rumor that's happened. There's excitement, especially with Poch and Conte, and then there's always the like, but, you know, uh, Conte needs a lot of money or he's very demanding, you know, in the last two seasons at a club. Or, but, you know, there's always these like – because it, no, no one's perfect, uh, newsflash. So <laughs> it, it means that, you know, you're always you know weighing up the pros and cons of whatever managerial appointment you get. But I was genuinely really excited for this and then felt like it looks like a lot of Spurs fans – very angry when it fell through. Um, but when you sort of consider what he was requesting, what we can give, what's been happening for the last 18 months, revenue, um, it's not rational. It's it's like going in – it's like doing Jose again basically, except he plays in a way that is uh, a bit more um, pretty – on the eye, like uh, easy on the eye. Oh, definitely. Yeah, did you, how did you feel? Well, I think with Conte as well, like what you said, like it does feel like another Jose type appointment, but like Conte's approach is definitely a little bit more successful in recent times. And I think he's probably yeah. adapted the way he plays a little bit more than Jose. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, – see, I don't know. Like Antonio Conte, being linked with him, I was like, okay, cool, interesting. Interesting. We'll see what that like ends up going to. But I wasn't overly excited about it. Like I, I know that he obviously won at Chelsea. I know that he won at Inter. But mm. I think given that we've just come off the approach of going for like, all right, let's go for a manager who has been successful and wins at every club he goes to um, with Jose and then having like just a, a not very pleasant experience overall for that. Um, mm-hmm. and then this is, and this is not to get the Mourinho, it's just going like, but you sucked him before a final and he would have won it. It's like before that final, well before that, like the, the joy of watching Spurs had definitely been removed. <laughs> so mm. we weren't fun to watch. It wasn't fun to, you know, you didn't look forward to sitting down and watching games. Like the thing I most, most look forward to, to sitting down and watching a game was like, well, this is going to give us some stuff to talk about on the pod. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Totally. So I yeah. felt kind of Conte was to me in that 
um, sort of bracket where it's like, okay, we've got a very demanding like um, manager who's a proven winner. And so I'm just not a hundred percent sure on this. Um, and I think like what you said, like, you know, Pont, uh, Conte's record, like he needs cash to, to, he comes in, he re- requests a lot of money to be spent, like Inter spent a couple of hundred million um, on players to get this, you know, Serie A title. Um, and now at the, you know, as soon as he wins the title and then Inter are like, well, you know, we're in some trouble now. We need to sell some players. Conte's like, yep, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I found that, you know, I was like, oh God, if that's his reaction after winning the title at Inter, like Daniel Levy's going to be like, so um, we thought about bringing Dybala, but we've actually gone with Nkudu. He'd, he'd literally be like, all right, bye. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Totally. Yeah. And it's like, I totally appreciate Conte has these high demands and, you know, it's it's well within his rights to have that and spe- specific teams mm. are going to have that. But, you know, I think Conte is very – he's obviously built up this image of himself through success, through having, like, success and winning winning titles. So I'm not trying to discredit that. But it seems like he's someone who he really wants to just keep his legacy and really only go into teams now if he is basically promised the cash to win a title. And we mm-hmm. just know that that's not how we do things at Spurs. Yeah. And I also, like, you know, we've spoken on this podcast before about the finances in football and how that has sort of affected the current state of affairs across the board. Um, and mm. it's just, I don't, I just don't think that there should just be this universal praise for needing to spend heaps and heaps of money on players. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Because it's, it's, it's similar to, you know, how uh, uh, games that are made by EA, right? A lot of the time have this um, like uh, pay to play element to them where it's like, cool, so you can grind it out for 30 hours and get the best guns uh, or you can uh, spend $100 on tokens and then you will have the best guns from the get go. And then guess what? You'll win. It's similar. It's like, well, if you spend $200 million on players every season, there's probably a pretty good chance that you're going to be winning. Um, and that's what the investment is, as opposed to, right, cool, well, let's figure this out. We've got a youth academy. We have this coach. Like, what can we come up with with the resources that we have to create a team that is able to compete at the level of these other guys that have spent their, all their money on EA tokens? Like, yeah, D- I, definitely. And 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 on that point too, like you look at Chelsea, like they spent two hundred and fifty million. Mm-hmm. Like it's like yeah, they won Champions League, but they spent two hundred and fifty mil <laughs> to bring yeah. in players. Like it's not really a great achievement when you look at it from that perspective. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like oh. Uh, oh great! Oh, oh, you won the hundred meter race, but you invested money in bionic legs. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, of course, that's. I, I mean, I saw. Um, uh, I mean, one of our tweets about would you would you be happy winning the league if we just had like a billionaire uh, owner um, or winning all the time if we had some like oil money man. Uh, we, I mean, we do have a billionaire owner, but he just doesn't invest money. But like, uh, it's it's a different model. If you did have that, would you be happy? And I, my answer would be, honestly, yes. For the first season or second season, it would be like, hell yeah, like this is awesome. Um, but then after a while, 
the narrative and the like sport is about narratives and the Premier League is about narratives. And the narrative is just how much money are we going to spend this year to buy these players who have who are like mercenaries that come in uh, and play for our club. Uh, and then we we if we win the title, that's a relief because we've spent a huge amount of money. If we don't win the title, it's a disaster. Like there's no story. It's just like it turns into this binary outcome, which is boring. Uh, it's so it's so ridiculously boring. And yeah, I think that's why now whenever City Chelsea win anything, it I like I don't care because I'm not going to go. Oh yeah, you know, well done. Like I, I mean, we're never going to sit here and go, nice one, Chelsea. <laughs> but I mean, like. We're not sitting here going like, oh, they did really well. Oh, Tuchel came in and actually did really well. Because we're just going to look at mm. and go, they've spent so much money on this. And why I also have problems with these solutions is because like City and um, Chelsea, to me, they're also short-term solutions because they have to constantly keep putting in all this money into the club now to to keep challenging for um, – well, not to keep challenging, to keep winning. Um, so – like we said, Chelsea have put in so much money over the last 15 years to 20 years, but then they have to go out and spend, you know, last transfer, last, uh, you know, summer transfer window, $250 million to, yeah. to get this Champions League. So to me, it's just a constant short-term thing of like, we need more cash in, we need more cash in, we need more cash in, we need more cash in. And like, I get some of the frustrations with our manager, of, like, sorry, with, not our manager, with our chairman and our owner, of course. But at the same time, it's like in this sort of, you know, modern world, it's viewed as like the worst thing ever that an owner isn't just throwing away money um, into a club to like, and it's not going to like, th- these clubs are investments. Mm. And I'm I'm not trying to sit here and say clubs are just companies and that's all that they should be and businesses. But I just can't look at an owner and go, you're not throwing your money into this, which to them is giving their money away. Um, I can't look at an owner and go, you should be doing this by default because I think 20 years ago, we would not have been saying that if, um, and it's only since Chelsea and City and PSG and clubs like that have been doing it, that we've started to now expect our owners to all be putting in money and and, and that, but like, you know, what other business do you go and look at the owner and go like, you know, oh, you're trying to create a self-sustaining business here. That's wrong. You need to operate at like a loss just just so that we win an award. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think on that the there is this unease already in the uh idea of what a football club uh means and what it means to be a part of that at, from a community level. Like if if you think about grassroots level clubs, they exist uh, off in Australia anyway, a lot of them exist off government grants um, and then investment, not, well, not even inv- advertising and then donation from benefactors, which is actually a similar operating system. They're not sustainable businesses. If, if you had to make money off them, you'd, they'd make a loss. But it's a similar system to Chelsea and Man City where they make money off sponsors. They have people just pumping money into it. Um, and if the club actually, if that was taken away, they'd fall apart. But then there's this idea. So there's this idea of that community organization and everyone <laughs> pitching in, even though at this very extreme level, it's uh, a Russian oil baron uh, and the, <laughs> um, 
and, you know, one of the uh, richest countries in the world owning a team. Um, so the idea of a, a club being a business is uneasy for fans, especially if it's part of your identity and part of your community. You don't want to think of it as this sort of corporate because because businesses aren't, although they are like within our community, their interests are in profit and making money. That's that's the point of business at the end of the day. And so th- this business concept that Tottenham has, the model to which they need to make money to invest in the team, to make it a self-sustaining, healthy, you know, corporate enterprise um, is in itself, uh, I think, can be quite distancing and frustrating to watch, especially when you see, you know, like lots of people saying um, we um, we made, you know, we're like, you know, the ninth richest club in the world and we made X amount of money. Daniel Levy's salary has gone up recently and we have made profits, but we're not seeing those profits invested in players, right? And players are the metric by which fans measure the ambition of a club. So there is the metric is failing on that sense, even though the profits have meant that we have a fantastic training ground, a fantastic stadium, um, and probably what well, I would hope, you know, improvements across our football department. But in terms of players, that little sugar hit of signing Dybala or signing Mbappe or or Havertz or whatever doesn't exist. We're we're living off um, we're living off whole grains. <laughs> well, I, I think look, I think you make a good point on the that like you know the sugar hit of a player coming through. Um, and I think that there is, like you've said, you know, there is a discrepancy between like, you know, a business and a fan wanting to win something and, and have that sort of result there. So I guess like when I look at it, I just look at it and go like, okay, if they are a business owner and they're wanting to, you know, build this long term as a self-sustaining system, I support that from the idea of a business, um, a business, a company, how a company should run. And I think like any any company that's running should be built to like become a self-sustaining. Um, they had it should be a self-sustaining entity. It shouldn't need constant investment to sort of keep things going. So I guess that's why, like, I look at it from that perspective to go, okay, cool. I appreciate that at least they're doing that, and like, I'm not planning on you know stopping supporting Spurs next year. So now that finally we've had, you know, we finally have this stadium. Like, I can't wait to go over to the stadium. Like I would love more than anything to fly over there um, and somehow, Barney, we need to just orchestrate decent amount of money so that we can fly over there, go to a game um, and sort of experience that. Like I went to the old White Hart Lane a couple of times when I was, you know, lucky enough to be over in London and, um, you know, that was a great experience to be there. And it's like I would love to see this new stadium and be there. Um, I just see that that is definitely a better long-term investment for the club um, than it would be for us to have not gone for that and then spent, you know, a couple of hundred million extra on players and, you know, potentially won a title or won a cup or something like that. And then I think fans could look at that and go like, oh, you don't have any ambition to win. You don't. And I don't think that's, that's a fair sort of um, accusation either because I, I don't think that they're like that closely like, I don't think you can be, you, you just have to be one and not the other. Um, mm. Because it's like, I, you yeah. know, what about the, the Tottenham fans in 20, 30 years? You know, what about when we're not here anymore and there are fans of the club still going through? Like, 
I think that uh, building something long-term is always a good option rather than just looking for short-term solutions. Because if you get short-term stuff, like look what happened to Leeds at the start of 2000s. Like they completely overspent beyond their means and it like <laughs> basically bankrupted the club and it's just now, like, you know, 15 years later that they've then managed to get back up into the Premier League from where they are. So, and there are totally. countless other examples of that as well. So it's like, I just mm. don't know why, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's looked down upon so much um, to, to have that. Like, and I understand the different opinion and I understand the frustrations, but I just think that like, you know, it's just a bit of an overreaction to me when we've got these shiny new things as a club, yet we still are just complaining about absolutely everything we can. Yeah. Yep. Totally. I mean, I um, to go back to my whole grains uh, analogy. Whole grain. <laughs> we eat the whole grains. We have energy <laughs> for the whole day, right? Like we aren't eating M um, and M's for breakfast. They're delicious, um, and we feel great. But then we crash. And like the whole grains, the sustainable uh, model of the um, you know the fact that the training ground you know in previous years before COVID was hired out to national teams or touring. Um, you're a big European clubs to use, um, you know, the stadium is going to generate this revenue. The idea that the, the model of the club can exist on its own and run itself, you know, with that revenue is very clever. And it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be uh, because we're not getting that sweet little um, those M&M breakfasts, uh, every now and then with this huge signing that is great and really exciting. And then um, because those things move on, like it's like Timo Werner, like <laughs> it was so exciting when he came to Chelsea. Oh my God, he's awesome. And, you know, he's not had a good year. Um, and it's like, eh, Chelsea, oh, Chelsea need another striker now. It's because they need the next, the next sugar hit has to happen because there's not this like more sustainable uh, thing that's being created. Um, and my second point, and I get to bring up the West Coast Eagles, which is my favorite thing to do. Um, it wouldn't be on a, it wouldn't podcast. be one of our podcasts if there wasn't at least Without one West it. Coast reference throughout yeah. the recording. Yeah. <laughs> and this is one I've already said, but I just want to really double down on it. West Coast are the biggest, richest club in the AFL. Uh, they are not run by a billionaire owner. They have done what they've done. They've generated the revenue that they've generated by investing in their own infrastructure and investing. <laughs> Apparently they own like 80 different properties. So when people complain about uh, Tottenham buying land, I'm like, yeah, good move. <laughs> um, like it's not it's not this like, and, and the league runs differently, obviously. It's not, you know, there's a draft system and blah, 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 which makes it harder for a club to generate that kind of revenue. But they are insanely rich. And those benefits, like on the field at West Coast, they have laptops and screens on the bench and players come off and watch plays immediately. Other teams just don't have the money to do that. And what it means is that West Coast, through investing in their own uh, club and, and building that kind of technology, have success on the pitch. But it's just taken a bit of time for that to happen. You know, like we don't, we can't tell the future and we don't know what will happen when the stadium is full. And we can start having events there. Um, so I think 
I can understand the emotional reaction because I feel it too when we lose or when we don't get Conte and it comes out that it's like a money thing. You're like, ah, just do it, just do it. <laughs> but, you know, it's not particularly rational and uh, you need to be rational when you're running uh, an organisation as big as Spurs. I, and I guess that's that's the point. that I, I really agree with there what you said. Like you have to be rational. I would much prefer to have rational owners or a rational chairman than someone who was just like, ah, all right, fine, ah, let's spend 100 mil. Boss, where are we going to get it from? Ah, I don't know, let's just do it and work it out later. Um, because that's when you have these collapses that happen. Um, and like yeah. you said, like, you know, West Coast investing in their own infrastructure. Um, and like with us at Spurs, like our training ground, I'm positive that's going to pay dividends as we keep going with it. Because if you're a young player now, if you're a really young, like, like, if you, if you get like the hottest young like player that's going around when they're like, you know, early teens, mid teens, whatever, when they're going to like to different clubs now to check out who they want to start, you know, join the youth academy and those sort of things. Like if you go to Spurs training ground, you're like, wow, this is like amazing. Look how cool this LED light is on this chair. <laughs> I want to be here rather than like, oh, I'm going to go sign for this other club and, and train out of an old shed. Yeah, like, and exactly. I, and I think it's already starting to happen a little bit because um, we've got play. You know, we've got some youth players that we are excited about now. And I know that in the past we've definitely been excited about youth players, which have ended up going nowhere. But there seems mm. to be a little bit more momentum building behind this. Like overall, we're still excited about like you know people like Parrot. We're still excited about people like Scarlet, like Divine. Um, I know Niall John, quite a lot of people, you know, are rating him as well, like Dennis Serkin, Harvey White. Um, you know, there's there seems to be so, like it's by no means is saying this is like the Spurs golden generation is coming through, but at least we are seeming to get more like youth prospects coming through at the same time that we're getting a little bit excited about. And all we really need is one or two of them to sort of take off and then it starts becoming a more successful like youth development project. Um, for mm-hmm. that. And I think that really happens because we have a new training ground. And yeah, I agree. That's to me, that's such a better way to run than like Chelsea going. Um, and I know Chelsea, uh, you know, apparently as well, they have a good youth setup and, and all that sort of stuff too, but they're not really bringing through that many youth players compared to what they could be doing. If they're going out and spending again, 250 million to bring mm-hmm. in four or five signings for the season um, you know, all 50 million plus type players. Um, like that's not promoting youth through the system. Um, mm. And and I mm-hmm. think it it really just goes down as well to like, what do you prefer as a football fan? Like, do you, are you so attached to winning and you feel that, you know, part of your identity, you need to win to view something as a success? Or like, is there another way for you to enjoy that experience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I struggle with this with, uh, you know, Tim, who we've had on the podcast before is a, you know, really good mate of mine and a Chelsea fan. And last year um, he was talking about how great the Chelsea youth were and Mount and Abraham and whoever the rest of them were that played last year. And then Chelsea went out and spent 250 million pounds. <laughs> and then apart from Mount, everyone, it was like, bye. Yeah, cool. Thanks for, thanks for your services. See ya. Um, we actually don't care because now we've got these players in. And, you know, like that's just forgotten about. But they won the Champions League. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the thing that I struggle with is, is um, 
with him, I can be like, you're owned by a Russian oil baron. He's destroying the planet, also destroying the Premier League. Uh, I hate Chelsea, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, we're on the Champions League. And I'm like, damn it. Like, you know, um, because part of it, like as much as I can enjoy Spurs for Spurs, there is still, you know, like because it's it's football, it's a competition. There's there's hope to, w- you know, like to win something, like Spurs winning something uh, would be amazing. But I, I, my, my support of Spurs doesn't begin and end with them winning the Premier League every season. Like that's not why I go for them and it doesn't need to be – the stakes aren't that – I mean they're high because I care a lot and if you asked me during a game if the stakes were high, I'd probably punch you in the face and say, yes, of course they are um, because I'd be so riled up. But like I just – if you're – like exactly what you said, if you're like living and dying on us spending – huge amounts of money and winning the league every year. Like just you need to sort of reflect on you, on your viewership or your support um, and what what metrics you're using to gleam enjoyment from 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 the game because it, you're not enjoying it if that's what you're – that's the only thing that's going to make you feel happy. Oh, totally. And like we have had, you know, conversations with people on Twitter and stuff and some have said – like blatantly winning is absolutely everything. That's all I care about. And it's mm. like, you know, I'm not going to have a go at someone like that. Cause it's just like, I, you know, I just live a different life <laughs> to mm. that yeah. where it's like, I, I'm not measuring our success by whether we, we win in one, you know, win one thing. Okay, cool. Now we're done. Um, like I, like I said, like the, I think there are just many different ways that you can actually enjoy the game. And I think, Technically winning, like winning a, a trophy, winning a league, all that sort of stuff. Like I would I would much rather just sit there and watch like be able to sit down every week, relax and see our team try and play, you know, nice attacking football, going after games and, you know, seeing what happens. Like to me, that's part of the excitement of football. And I think if we get to a stage where we are expecting to win, like you're in that, like you said, it's like, if you get into that situation with Man City, Chelsea, um, where it's like, okay, now if they don't win, their fans are nutting it <laughs> about things. So it's like they've got nowhere to go from where they are now. Like we've still always got the hope of like, oh, you know, okay, hey, we can win something. We can win something. We can get on, you know, do that. If you just have this thing where you've won, you're winning the league or the cups every year, suddenly then they go out of something and it's like, oh, this is horrible. This is ridiculous. This is like a farce. This is insane. And you just see it's like this like this total disparity between, you know, um, how different fans are operating. Uh, you know, and now what it means for like, you know, fans of Leicester who were like, yeah, we're in the Champions League. Yeah. Like, you know, mm. pushing. I know they didn't get in. But like, I mean, you know, mm. when they thought that they were in, they were so ecstatic to be in the Champions League. Um, yeah. And then when they got taken away from them, they were so mortified by that. Mm. Whereas like with Chelsea City, it's like they don't really care about that because they know that even if they miss out one year, they're going to spend so big the next year that they're going to be back challenging for the title or anything. And and again, it just goes down to like, you know, what are your metrics for enjoyment of the game? You know, mm. do you just want to see a team that wins? Like if you, again, to, to use like a, you know, sort of like a FIFA or... Um, 
you know, football manager analogy, like if you start up a new career mode on FIFA, do you go into the settings and set it so you've got max budget and you've got a billion pounds to spend on your whole team and you can just buy Ronaldo, Messi and everyone and then that's how you get enjoyment? If so, cool. Or are you the sort of person who goes, you know what, I'm going to take, uh, I want to go Notts County and uh, I want to I want to sort of try and invest wisely and I've got like a five-year plan to uh, to try and get into the Premier League, and that's going to be my sort of measure for success. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like imagine if um, you went and watched a sports movie where uh, it was like, "Cool, so we're the greatest team in the world with the most money. Let's see what happens <laughs> in this season." Like, who cares? Like, what are they overcoming? Like, what what's what's there to actually glean from from this? Uh, film like what's this story nothing there's nothing here so um, I love that idea as a film though of like you have a team yeah and it just starts and it's like well we've won the title for the last four years can we do it again this season well do we're gonna need budget for that we've got budget for that yeah. okay cool what's the next 90 minutes gonna be about then yeah, exactly. Like, um, oh, we need a new striker. We, do we? Oh God, if only we could sign uh, Holland. Don't worry, we've already signed him. Like, what? <laughs> definitely. It's like it to me. That takes all of it out of it. So, which is why you know certain fans will say, "I'd love us to be like Chelsea and City. I'd love us to just. I just want to sit there, watch the best players, and watch us win things." And it's like to me, it's like okay, well, you can just watch a, like watch a game with another like go watch a city game like go watch a psg game like if you want to watch the best players and that's all that you care about then mm. just go and watch the like you know psg juventus when, that, when that's yeah. on like with there doesn't have to be this pressure of like our club like oh, i care about the club so much but i want the best players in the world and mm. it's something we spoke about before as well that like you know, you've got the ESL and how everyone was like, this is so disgusting. This is filthy. This is vile. And then it's the same people going, why isn't our chairman spending 500 million pounds on players? Yeah. And it's exactly. like, it doesn't, you can't like, you can't get up on your high horse and like suddenly be so like morally righteous about ESL. And then, you know, just whinge when we're not sinking hundreds of millions into. Um, into players every season. Exactly, exactly. And and this mentality of um, uh, or this this sort of angry, uh, hard done by vibe that exists on Spurs Twitter now, I hypothesize is like a it's a result of the Mourinho appointment because prior to that, as much as we, you know, it was like, oh, go Pochettino, like. This is awesome. We're doing our best. We made it to the Champions League final. We didn't win. That sucks. But we were, you know, we were there and Tottenham were there. That's amazing. And now post Jose where it's like winning mentality, do anything to win, that has the goalposts have moved. And now it's like we have to uh, be at this higher echelon of spending and performance and all this kind of stuff that which is – Good because it's a it's an outcome of the club's growth and improvement, but also the the negativity and the desperation and anger and frustration that seem to come with that is is awful. 
It's oh. awful. It's such a bad environment. It's it's so bad. And, and like you said, I, I think you've 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 hit something there where it's saying that we didn't have these expectations before we had Mourinho. Because before we had Mourinho, we wouldn't have thought we could get a manager like Mourinho. Like when we yep. signed Pochettino, he was not considered a top class manager. He was considered no. a good up and coming manager and mm. someone like, oh, it could be worth taking a shot on him. But he was definitely not considered like here are the he's one of the best managers going around. Um, yep. And so I think you're right. We get someone in like Jose and then suddenly we're like, okay, now we, he, he, this guy wins leagues. He wins Champions Leagues. He wins this. All right, now we're here. This is what we're doing. And then it was like in our heads, like the fairy tale was like, Jose is going to take us to a league title. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and then that didn't work out. And then now it's just like, it's like all the expectations in a very short period have just been like absolutely blown through the roof. And then now, like, we finished seventh, okay? Not great, but also not horrible. Like, <laughs> if we look at the years before, um, uh, and there was, a, there was a good tweet about this which pointed this out, we look at the years before, like, Libby was involved, especially through the 90s. Like, seventh, sixth, seventh, that would have been an amazing finish back then. Mm. So it's not trying to say that that's all we should be aiming for now, but just for like a little bit of perspective on it, to come out after we finished sixth or seventh, after it's been a year of COVID, and again, it's had such an effect on finances for every club everywhere, but it's also had an effect on like the fixtures and the, all the scheduling, everything. It's been a weird season for that. It's just mm. been a weird season. And, you know, funny how the, the squads who have, you know, sorry, the teams who have the biggest squads and the most expensive players on the bench and all that sort of stuff, funny how they end up, you know, coming through at the end of it because everyone else is just completely buggered. Um, yeah. And yeah, it just seems like now we're getting comments like, um, oh, I'm done with this club. I'm so done with this. I'm out. We are dusted as a club, all this sort of stuff. And it's like, cool. All right. We don't have a manager right now. Great. Not ideal. But also we're not relegated. Like, I mean, it's yeah. it's not like we've gone bankrupt <laughs> as a club. Like, yeah, exactly. Like it could be so much worse, but it's kind of like we're in this doomsday mentality now that everything is so bad and every single thing that happens is just, oh, it's always like, oh, it's so bad. This is so horrible. And it's like, hang on, we've called for a director of football for ages. Mm. Um, even a month ago, we were like, all right, director of football, director of football. That's what so many people are calling for. Even if you were like a super hard Libby out, Enic out, you were like, do I want a director of football? Even if you're a little bit more mild, you were like, I want a director of football. Now we have hmm. one, but then it's like, oh, well, we've got the director. But now we don't have Conte as well. Oh, this is, oh, we are dusted. And it's like, hang on. Like, <laughs> this is what we wanted. We wanted a director of football that also has more power. And by all accounts now, it's like, his role is more all-encompassing than previous director of footballs have been at the club. Um, mm. But then now suddenly, you know, we're, room, we're linked with a manager that we're personally not familiar with, but the director of football has targeted as someone who they think is good. And suddenly yeah. now it's all just like up in arms again and like, oh, well, we've got to direct, but oh, we don't want that manager. We want this. And it's like, can we just stop complaining? Like, mm. can we just stop complaining about everything just for five minutes? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what you said about the sixth and seventh finishes. When we hired Pochettino, I remember uh, Ancelotti was thrown around. So was uh, Louis Van Gaal. So pleased we didn't get him. But at the time, it was like, no, we didn't get Louis Van Gaal and Ancelotti because they wouldn't want to come to us. But we got Pochettino and whatever. He was Southampton. 
and then obviously Pochettino became Pochettino and was fantastic. Then we got Jose Mourinho, which obviously we never would have gotten prior to hiring Pochettino. Maybe that is a result of his sort of downward trajectory as a manager. But also now we're talking to managers like Antonio Conte about coming, who is not, he's not going, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll go to Spurs because I, I cut, you know, this is a mutual need. He's just won the title at Inter. He's won at Chelsea. He's won at Juve recently and he was interested in coming and it didn't happen um and i'm annoyed uh but also <laughs> it's like not it's not the end of the world and and the the fact that we're even in those conversations is good like that is exciting and this guy who um i just really don't want to say his name because i <laughs> really uh i'm unsure about how to say it but um <laughs> <laughs> the the ex manager of Roma, like um, I think we can you, go with Fonseca. Uh, I think let's just go with Fonseca for now. I think that's Fonseca. Fine. Fonseca. All right. I There's a really fine. good article, <laughs> really good art, article written by Windy about Fonseca and looking at his time at Roma and his um, Tifo did a great video about his tactics. Um, and if you look at his results, like he. It's it's a it is a Pochettino hire like it's 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 similar in in the sense that he Roma on expected goals and chances created and all those metrics oh, he I think Roma are like third in the Italian league this season um, what he's done with other clubs you know he's improved them when he's gone there uh, he's worked not with massive budgets which is going to suit him at Spurs. Um, so, like, as much as it's when it was initially announced that we were maybe going to sign this random dude, I was like, are you kidding me? The more I've read about him, the more I've watched Roma tapes, the more I've come around and been like, this might actually be really clever. We could get Zorro. Yeah. Right? That's being Zorro. underplayed. This, this guy, <laughs> Fonseca, dressed up as Zorro for a Champions League press conference. All right? This excites me to no end <laughs> because, like, if that's not entertaining, like, I don't know what is. Like, I've never seen a manager make a bet with, like, someone on their staff, like, all right, if we get through, if we beat City, if we make it through the knockout phase, I'm going to dress up as Zorro for a press conference. <laughs> like, I love that. So good. I love that so much. Um, and I think just like you, um, I'm in a similar boat where I didn't really know much about him at all, looked him up have been sort of trying to do more research, seen more in-depth articles, mm. and it's like, yep, yeah, there's criticisms going, okay, cool, he's maybe not as defensively sound as, you know, other managers are, and sometimes his teams can sort of give away chances at the back. Um, but it's like we kind of tried, like with Mourinho, we're like, all right, let's go for a manager who's a lot more defensively focused and is just just wants low block counter. Um Mm. And then, like that wasn't in- it wasn't enjoyable to watch. It's enjoyable for one or two games when we're sitting there going like, hey, we're holding off City. Ah, uh-huh. uh, look at us stopping uh, Arsenal with all their thirty five crosses, but they didn't get anything, and we scored on the counter. Like for one or two games, you're like, all right, that's an you know interesting tactic when you look at it from like a shithousery perspective. But yeah, like all the most enjoyable teams, Spurs teams that we've talked about, you know, from the last like 20 years, they've always been these like attacking swashbuckling sides. Like Harry Rednap's team were not like a defensively sound team, but watching them attack and go forward was just joyful. 
Um, mm. Same with like Peach Potch. Uh, sorry, Peak Potch. Like, yeah, we did have a season where, you know, we were extremely resolute in defensively, especially, you know, the last one at the lane, where I think we conceded 10 goals at home all season or, or something like that. Um, and that was great. But like, it was the attacking excitement, which is what we sort of want to watch and see. And so more and more reading about it, it seems like Fonseca seems to be talking about like he doesn't like to sort of just sit back for any team. He always likes to go at teams. Um, he likes his teams to attack and play that football and and really sort of, you know, um, go for it. And it's like when I think about it, I'm like, you know, overall, would I prefer to see us just go out there and actually, you know, try and win games, like give players the, the freedom to – to have some creativity and do what they do and, and not be reprimanded, like, you know, to no end because they, they weren't sort of like tracking back like so much. Um, I would love that. Like, I would love that. Like mm. I would love to see Steven Bergwijn not playing as like a defensive, like winger <laughs> effectively. Like he was, he wasn't that a PS, um, PSV. So like, you know, I want to see what he could do when he's just sort of unleashed in an attacking sense, giving some freedom yeah. there. Like I think to totally. me that's what's exciting about this appointment that um, it comes with a manager who doesn't think that they're above the club. And mm. so, you know, then people go, well, that doesn't show ambition. And I'm like, well, I would much prefer someone who's going into this role and doesn't think they're doing us a favour by being there. And I think that's the yeah. same about any job anywhere. Like if we were hiring someone, like you don't want to hire someone who thinks that they're helping you out and doing a favour to you by coming in and helping out your, you know, um, your company. Like you want someone who's going to be excited to be there and sees it as a really, you know, interesting opportunity. They're like, oh, wow, I really want to go there. I want to do a good job. Um, I want to impress. I, this is, you know, this is my chance to like, you know, step up and show that I can do it at this level. Yeah. Yep, exactly. You want it, like he is motivated to, if, if he comes in, to perform at this higher level as opposed to, like, um, oh, okay, well, I mean, I'm very successful and, you know, if, if my methods fail here, then it's not my fault. It's the club's fault because I am actually really good. Uh, sounds very like uh, Jose Mourinho. <laughs> like we, we employing someone who is not above the club is a fantastic idea. Like that's exactly what we should be doing. And on the defensive thing, um, oh, two things. First of all, I love that you called him Peach Potch. I love that. Um, and uh, second of all, in I think not this season, but the one previous, I think Roma conceded the three, they were third lowest in goals conceded or something like that. So like as much as, uh, you know, I, I've read a lot of stuff about it's just like, yeah, it's just like swashbuckling, whatever, like there's no defensive uh, solidity. Um, you know, they managed to do that. So, you know, let's just see what happens. Like let's just take a step back and we, we can't control this decision. No matter how much whinging we do, no matter how much outrage we drum up on the internet, like – we can't control who's going to get hired and whoever does get hired, let's just see how it goes, <laughs> you know, like uh, and support them. Definitely. And yeah. like we, we have a director of football. We've got Paratici in now. All right. That's an exciting signing. Like that is effectively like a manager coming in. And that's also like yeah. having a director of football is basically like having 
a manager taking care of the transfer. Like it's a, and it's a system that, you know, has been criticized a lot in the past by like, it seems like in the English game, but realistically so many clubs in Europe operate with that system of having a director of football and then having a manager who comes in and then the manager becomes less important in the sense of having to control absolutely everything about players nonstop. And it's like, when you actually think about it, I don't know why all clubs don't have directors of football in place um, because you think of the responsibility a manager has in general to like be training the team every day, you know, working on all the tactical analysis for games, all that sort of stuff, work, like going through all of that prep each week, managing a team during a game, having to manage egos in the team and make sure players are happy and all that sort of stuff. Plus then you want a manager who's going off and like having their own list of targets of everyone that they want to sign and all this. It's like, okay, well, so what does the, is the manager going home and like subscribing to like, you know, statistics based sites where they're getting like, you know, all these performance indicators and, um, you know, of, of all the players in Europe and the youngest players there. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. And if you look at it in any other sort of, organization you'd be like that's too much for one person to handle whereas i love the idea of having someone who is focused on incoming players getting rid of old players all that sort of stuff obviously still having an open dialogue with the manager and having a good relationship with them and working together on saying like look here are some targets we've identified here is you know here's all the data we've got on them here's everything here's rough you know what we think they might cost what we can do what do you think you know um, what do you like? I'd much prefer having this system in place um, where, as opposed to thinking that we need a manager that does absolutely everything. Yeah, exactly. It's, I think like uh, a lot of Spurs fans are very burnt by the uh, Baldini years because of the way the Bale 7 money was spent. Um, and um, so therefore the idea of a director of football, because I remember at the time a lot of commentary and pundits would be like, well, that's the problem with having a director of football and using the European model because this is the Premier League. And it's like, shut up. Like, <laughs> you, what do you say? It's like the the problem is that, you know, not only if, if Spurs make a uh, a choice that is progressive and have a director of football, it's bad. If they don't have one, then it's bad. It's like, <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> you can't win in that scenario. Like, you've just got to, like, I'm very pleased we're bringing one in and one that apparently, you know, is is good, uh, is a functional uh, member of the footballing world and has made some, you know, good decisions, has a lot of experience. Like, again, let's see how it goes. Like, <laughs> like let's not. Let's not uh, destroy the idea before it's even happened. Definitely. And and look, we're bringing in someone who's, you know, been at a club that's had a lot of success. He's engineered a lot of good transfers. Whenever you see people go like, um, they're like, oh, he's, he's had some good transfers. There's always someone who pops up going, yeah, but what about this player that he signed on? They weren't good. And it's like part of the risk of like transfers is like there's a risk involved, right? There's a risk mm. involved in every player. So the idea is that like if you're, if you're you know, Signing a bunch, some will come off, some will not, um, and that's yeah. just how it goes. It's kind of like it, Hollywood, like what? It's like one in every ten movies ends up making a, a profit or like a breaking even or something like that, and everything else is a loss. But yeah. like studios, are like well, we we just have to keep putting them out because there will be a gem in there somewhere. 
Um, and so I think that's just what we need to get behind with this model. And, you know, we've got someone who's, you know, experienced, they've, they've won a lot. Like it's, to me, it's exciting for them to, to come in. I'm also ex- like a part of me ex- is excited that they've come in and they've identified a manager that's been a bit left field for us. And we haven't, you know, as a fan base, haven't thought of previously, because if we have the director of football coming in and just, you know, does exactly what we could you know what we think is a good idea sitting here in our armchairs that's not really an expert in in any no. sort of system um it's like when you look at like you know liverpool's success for that they had yeah they they've spent big on like van dyke and allison and those sort of things but a lot of players that mm. they were buying just before then as well they were they were looking at metrics that other clubs weren't looking at when they were making those decisions mm-hmm. So I like the idea that if we've got Paratici and he's gone, you know, I really see something in Fonseca, you know, here's all the, here's the reasons why. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm going to trust this dude and not think that, you know, me as a football fan on the other side of the world, just sitting on my computer raging every day. Like it's, it's why would I know yeah. more than this person who it's their whole business and life is to operate within that side of the club and that side of football that we don't see as fans. Like mm, I think exactly. we need to get behind that and go like, yeah, cool. I'm willing to just trust this person um, with whatever they do and give them the full reins on that. And if they say this manager that mm. I haven't really heard of, cool, great. I ex- That excites me more. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, I mean, if you think about, so Pochettino probably wasn't ever a reasonable option because he's locked into a contract at PSG. They don't want to let him go. Conte... It didn't work because apparently he wanted a, a promise of X amount of money for transfers. Um, there was weird, a weird rumor about him wanting to bring uh, more backroom staff and the Spurs didn't want to do that. But like Jose had like 3 billion different backroom stuff that he brought with him. So I don't think that's true. I don't think it's, um, I was just going to say on that point too. Like I think that the last version of that little element that I heard was mm. that um, – Levy was like, you get, you can bring in stuff, but we want you to keep Ledley King and Ryan Mason somewhere in the system. And it yep. was like, no, I don't want them. Mm. That's just the last little thing. And you know, you never know yeah. if that's right or wrong, but that's the last little mm. sort of report I heard on that. But um, sorry, continue, continue yeah. on that. But I think that that was just an interesting little thing that came out mm. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I yeah, now I remember. I mean, my opinion on that is like, what? Just fine, like fine. They can go like coach the under twenty three. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, make make but, them ambassadors of something. I guess what I mean is like, yeah, that's not the reason for something to completely collapse. Because if you're going to exactly. do that, you can move them into other roles and all these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so back to the original list, we had Graham Potter, Ten Hag, Hassenhudel. Uh, am I forgetting anyone else? That was sort of the Scott Park was floated around. Oh yeah, and Brendan cool. Rogers right. was like on that initial. Yeah, list right. As well, yeah. So Brendan Rogers said, uh, "No, I'm staying at Leicester." Uh, Hassan Hoodle, like, if you want to complain about a manager that can't hold down a defence, uh, <laughs> he's number one. Like, I no way would I want him. Um, Graham Potter is like a bit of an unknown. He seemed I would be. It's not very exciting, but. You know, whatever. Ten Hag, yeah, cool. He manages Ajax. Like, what? It's Ajax. Like, who cares? Like, what? They play in a league to which they are the biggest club by far, and then and they win. Like, and then occasionally, you know, things happen for them in the Champions League, and then the next year they don't. Like, that's that's nothing to me. Like this, 
he's just as like he's within that same realm of manager if that's who we're picking. And uh, if you look at sort of you know his uh, his journey as manager and his underlying stats, and if he's being identified by someone who is uh, an expert at this kind of thing, then like sure, why not? Go for it. Oh, definitely. And you make a put like, you know, Ten Hag is, he's managed one club. Well, I mean, he's more than that, but like his recent TV is like, it's one club in an extremely dominant league and they just win all the time. That's it. Um, yeah. Then you go and look at Fonseca and you can go, well, what about in Ukraine when he was with Shakhtar? They're a very dominant club in their league. But before he was there, they didn't win the league, uh, at least the immediate season before. And then at least the immediate season afterwards, they didn't win either. So. Yeah. There's got to be, you've got to start giving some credit. And yeah, you can't have this huge thing of like, well, Ten Hag is the perfect manager for us, but Fonseca is rubbish. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense at all. So, yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah. So I would just, yeah. oh, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, it's just interesting to see how this plays out. And I think now at this stage, like, I'm sitting back and going, like, okay, cool. I'm intrigued by whatever choices are being made. Not trying to give my, um, you know, opinion in such a negative um, view on everything when I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. Like, and I think that's where I'm sort of sitting with my frustration with all the stuff online at the moment is it's all around that that it's like apparently we're all experts in Fonseca and how <laughs> crappy is, yet mm. three days ago we didn't know who he was. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like, yeah, it just uh, yeah, just sit and wait. And see what happens, and with whatever happens, like see, like observe it from a point of view to which isn't already negative. Like that, it's exhausting. You will feel better if you don't do that. Um, so I, I'm very excited to see what happens going forward. Um, you know, who we sign when when we sell Harry Winks, like you know, like all all <laughs> kinds of stuff that all kinds of stuff that might happen. I would love for a teacher um, to come out and go. You know, I, I really love uh, when he, you know, officially signs mm. and, and it's all announced. I'd love for that quote to be, you know, I really love this club. You know, there's a lot of great players here. You know, one of the most excited, you know, exciting players I think in this team is is Harry Winks. And he was the main reason why I wanted to come here. And that's what's drawn me here. So we're going to be building our team around him. I think to me, out of everything oh. that we've mentioned, that would be the breaking point for you to stop supporting Spurs. <laughs> I would go, I would turn into like hashtag out. Like I would just have some kind of break, like a, a huge psychological break and I would have so much crap that I would just spill out online everywhere. It would be terrible. Do not, please let that not happen. That would make you unhinged. Um, I, I could see. It would, I would be completely unhinged. Yeah, yeah, I would be completely unhinged. But look, I, it's, um, I, I think we can agree that, look, in all seriousness, like players like Winks, they have like they they need to move on. And yep. if we've got someone like Paratici coming in and he knows that he has to sell, he's going to want to clear out players. Like yep. if he's going to come in and try and imprint something and he's been told, hey, you have to like we have to sell these players or we have to sell to generate some funds. Like we can add X amount yep. into it, but we have to sell. Like his first thing, he's going to want to start moving and shaking and making some deals. So he's going to start coming yep. in and going, all right, cool. Let's clear out this, 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 and this. Let's start getting mm -hmm. these players out because there's players I want to bring in. Like apparently he tried to he tried to like sneak in and grab Donnarumma before he went to PSG. 
like one of the best young <laughs> goalkeepers in the world. And it's like, great, he's not even <laughs> here yet and he's trying to do things like that. You know, rumours about us for yeah. um, Marcus Turam, um, Lillian's mm. son. And I'll be like, yeah, cool, great play. Like if we get him, that'd be exciting. Um, yeah. Great. So it's like, you know, he's – you know, there are reports he's starting to make moves before he's even been sort of announced and has, and has officially started. So once he does start, I, I think we are going to start seeing a bit of movement happening. We're going to see, see some players being sold. It's good in a sense that certain players are actually putting their hand up and saying they want to be sold, like Aurea, yeah. like Sissoko yeah. kind of mentioned it as well um, yeah. to an extent. So it's it's good that you've got players kind of willing to go in that sense. Obviously then the, mm-hmm. the thing is that the, the transfer value drops a little bit, but it's, yeah, I think we're going to start seeing some movement um, after he comes in. There's obviously euros yep. going on, which is going to, you know, add into that. But like, that's why I think it's an exciting time for me because it's like, okay, let's see what happens and let's just mm-hmm. stop, you know, thinking we know exactly what is going to happen and why it's going to fail. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Let's let's yep. try and enjoy this process, enjoy this ride. And again, it's like, you know, get some entertainment out of it, but in a positive sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yep. I'm with you hundred percent of the way. Um we when something does get announced, we will be back to uh discuss it in a positive way. Um <laughs> Also, just to clarify, it's like we're not trying to be blindly positive to absolutely oh, everything no, that's no, going yeah. on. Um, just because yeah. sometimes if you say something like positive online, you get accused of that. Uh, mm. How can you defend them for this thing that they did? It's like, no, nah, it's a yeah. different topic we're talking about here. Um, but I think overall, especially in you know current times and you know everyone's had like a tough year mentally with everything. Um, mm. that, that's happened with COVID and everything around that. Like, And this is everyone across the world. So, you know... We don't need to add further stress to our, ourselves and, and to, to what's going on now. And um, I think just remembering as well, it's like, yeah, we don't need to get so outraged about every single thing that happens. If we're making positive yeah. steps on, on certain topics, great. Uh, but let's just try and look at things from at, ver- at the very least a neutral side first and then see the positives before we just jump to the negatives. Um, exactly. Instinctively. Yeah. Yep, yep. That is exactly it. It's not blind positivity. It's just being able to acknowledge how you feel towards the situation and then thinking about the rational reasons uh, <laughs> as to why something's occurred and the knowledge that you possess from your position uh, and how you are responding to um, ideas or you know knowledge that you have no idea whether it's true or not. Like just, just <laughs> chill out and uh, enjoy the ride. Definitely, yeah. That's our um, that's our new mantra, so, I think, for the show: <laughs> chill out and enjoy the ride. Chill out, enjoy the ride. Yep, that sounds that sounds good. I think that will help. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Well, um, this has been a bit spursy. I've been Barney. I've been Dan. Um, and we hope that you uh, chill out and enjoy the ride. That is the managerial search. Um, have a great day, night, morning, week, wh- whatever. You've been listening to A Bit Spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at abitspursy.com and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms.